0: Hello and welcome to Tops 10 brought to you by KTXD Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and ask them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer, and I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the College of Media and Communication and the originator and host of Top's Ten. Today, I have with me Dr. Shankar Chatterjee, Paul Whitfield Horn Professor of Geology and Curator of Paleontology at Texas Tech University. He was a visiting professor at the University of California, a postdoc at the Smithsonian Institution, and a faculty member at George Washington University before he moved to Texas Tech in 1979. Did you buy boots then? <laughs> Texas cowboy boots. Okay, good. He led several expeditions to India, China, and Antarctica, and the American Southwest to search for dinosaurs and early birds, and has discovered, named, and described several new taxa. His current research focuses on mesozoic vertebrates, flight of pterosaurs, the origins of birds, the origins of flights, mass extinction, macroevolution, plate tectonics, and paleo-biogeography." His work on macroevolution encompasses the study of large-scale patterns of evolution, mass extinction, and their long-term consequences in biodiversity. Currently, he's working on the origin of life. So after covering every other aspect of of all the sciences, you're working on the origin of life. Right.
1: Right. This is a big question. That's right.
0: (laughs) Please go to his webpage because, I mean, the number of books that he's written and words were too long for the show, Dr. Chatterjee. But you are most famous, I guess, popularly for your book on the origin of birds, right, and the origins of, of flights. You, you have a first edition. Your second edition of that book is coming out soon. Right, right. When did you start your fascination with all things ancient and original?
1: That from my you know, college days. And, you know, although I was a sort of structural geologist, but then, you know, a British scientist came to Calcutta and she basically, you know, took me under her wing and um, I really got interested in, in fossils and she took me, you know to London, University of London, where I did my you know, doctoral work. But in India, it was really untapped resources. We discovered so many new things. So again, credit goes to Pamela Robinson, because she really introduced me with the vertebrate fossils. You grew up in Calcutta. Yeah, I grew up. I was born and raised in Calcutta. Calcutta doesn't
0: have the world's best reputation <laughs> <laughs>
1: outside. I mean, I, th- I think
0: probably when the Chamber of Commerce of Calcutta meets, it says, you know, we've got we've to have a, a branding campaign
1: to make the city sound more attractive. Right, but you see most of the intellectuals, they came from that city, you know, all the Nobel laureates. It's a university city? It's a university, it's a film, it's a music, you know. All musicians in India, they're all from this you know, city. So it has a very good, you know, it's called the Cultural Center.
0: What was your family doing
1: with your parents? My father was a chemist. You know, science background. But, you know, music is really in our family. Father used to play all kinds of instruments. At home? At home.
0: Yeah, and, and I always tell our younger listeners, yeah. because they are students who listen to KTXE, the student right, radio station, right. that once upon a time, families actually, all families, America, India, Russia, yeah. gathered together in the home, in the same physical place, looking at each other, and played music together.
1: Exactly. And my mother was a very good singer. So we are really born and raised in that family. And it's so funny and fascinating that my son really became an accomplished musician, although he's a scientist, he's a neuroscientist, Harvard trained, you know, but, you know, he's a sort of exceptionally, you know, fine violinist, sort of concert violinist. What were the instruments your father played? Violin, then sitar, you know, and mainly, you know, lots of Indian instruments. And we had, so we are really, we were never trained, but we could play, you know, most of the instruments.
0: Were the songs native Indian yeah, songs? Na- yeah, yeah. Said,
1: India has a very rich culture, you know, especially the classical music, you know. I think Yudhiminians said that, you know, Indian music starts where the Western music ends. <laughs> Did
0: you hear, I mean, I assume uh, you were probably, I'm sorry, what year were you born? 43, long time. Okay, so you were born when India was still a colony uh, of England, and so you probably had a lot of, you know, BBC and... Exactly, yeah, Yeah,
1: that British hangover was there.
0: Yeah, so you heard Western music. uh, Yes, uh, and my father
1: used to play, you know, Western music too.
0: A lot of people have talked about a link between music and math. Yeah. And the sciences that they're, you, um, have, have you seen that in your, oh, your definitely, work? Oh,
1: definitely, definitely. You know, I mean, I think in you know, music, that discipline, that you know, when you play music, you know, classical music, you really go into such a detail. And it's almost like in a pursuit in science. Like
0: all our guests, I asked you for a list of your uh, top ten favorite music, and I noticed that every single one of them, as far as I could tell, was a Western uh, piece of music. Now, do you, do you still listen to Indian music in different yes, contexts? Yes,
1: definitely, because I was trained as a sort of c you know, like Ravi Shankar's mm-hmm. instrument. So uh, now, you know, these days, for example, I really listen in all the Indian classics. So, but these are the time, you know, I think it really captures some of the important events. Had you studied the evolution at all, except maybe as a, as a basic
0: course? Or yeah,
1: only the basic course. But yeah. then when I went to London, and you know, and also this active field work in India. You know, we, she actually organized all these expeditions in the remote part of India. And they did, you know, it is a forest where you s- still see the tribes, the hunter and gatherer, and you know. And I think these are, you know, some of the very good memories in my, you know, formative periods. Now the first song you listed for us is by the Beatles. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I think I think the
1: Beatles are are uh,
0: you know Paul McCartney is coming to right. Karlovec. Uh, he and had he had one cancellation, but he's, now he's coming October second. Have you bought tickets? To oh yes,
1: <laughs> very fast day. Do you think he would recognize you from previous concerts? No, 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 no. <laughs> Let it be by the Beatles. Okay, so the thing is, when I was in London, I had a roommate, and that guy looked like a you know, John Lennon. Okay, and all the time he used to play all the Beatles. You know, Beatles, we're talking about 67, 68, and, you know, they're coming, they're becoming sort of, you know, symbol. And also at that time, they're protesting. in, you know, in London. So that guy, you know, he knew so much about Beatles. So I asked him, you know, especially about these two songs. I said, are these, you know, biblical? And he told me the stories. I don't know whether it's right or not wrong but uh, let it be you know that mother mary i thought you know it could it could be sung in any church and it's almost like you know catholic prayer and he said no 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 mary was paul's mother and mary died when he was 14. so whenever he's in trouble mother mary actually protects him that's his own mother and, you know, I was so amazed to hear that in explanation. Then again, I asked, you know, these two, because it's almost sound, you know, religious, but they don't look like very religious. So the second one, you know, hey, Jude, I said, you know, is it the same biblical thing, you know, St. Jude? He said, no, 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 this is again his best friend when John Lennon and they are sort of, you know, divorced, uh, divorcing. Their son, Julian, was devastated. He was very young, you know, a little kid. Paul would go and console him. So he wrote that song, Hi Julius, and then so these two explanations I was so amazed to hear from that guy and when I when he left he gave me a little record. You know, I think forty five LP. And uh, which I actually took it to home. And my younger brother was a sort of rock singer. So he used to really sing like Paul McCartney. So this is how it goes, you know, from one generation to another.
2: When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing. Right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 be. Whisper words they will see.
0: For the sake of music, art for the sake of art, is that something uniquely human or do we find
1: evidence elsewhere in the animal world? I think, you know, it's sort of parallel evolution. You know, two groups, they really invented music. One, of course, birds, you know. And birds' music is very complicated, beautiful. Okay. And although, you know, they really branched out maybe 300 million years ago, but bards came out with their own music, not only for communication, but also for pleasing, you know, their mates. And bards and humans, humans music, we don't, do not know when it started. But there's a cave in Africa, you know, at least 100,000 years old. And there you can see these artistic expressions, you know. And I think our ancestors were restless. You know, when they kill their animals and when they settled, they want to express, they want to communicate. You know, I mean, when they saw the lightning, when they saw the fire, they wanted to know why. So out of fear and all the, I think religion really started out of fear. And then, you know, so all these paintings and others as if they're, you know, trying to communicate. And finally, I think, as you said, about 40,000 years ago, there was a gene mutation, and suddenly we learned how to speak. And the language became the really, really, suddenly took everything, you know, at a very, very high speed. How far back do birds go? Oh, birds, probably, you know, very early. Maybe, maybe, you know, 160 million years or so, because, or maybe, okay, let's take it back. We found a bird. And this is still, you know, it will come out. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, undescribed. We found a bird from Antarctica, for the f- which is about 65 million years old. And for the first time, we actually the fossils. We found a syrinx, which is a musical, you know, instrument in birds. And at least we know that birds are singing for 65 million years. Complex. So that's a bone? Or, or, yeah, it, right. You know, there is a little thing here in this, you know, uh, vocal throat in the throat, throat, in area. The throat yeah. area. This is how birds can sing. Okay, so the singing birds, you know, today all the perching birds they are songbirds. Okay, but not all birds could, you know, sing. Okay, today majority birds are, you know. I think
0: that's very interesting what you just said. I've never heard that before. All perching birds, yeah, are songbirds. Songbirds, and they dominate today. You know, so eagles, all, all yeah, falcons. They don't sing, but they are capable. And they don't sing par- partly because, you know, when you're trying to quietly swoop down yeah, and kill something, yeah, yeah. whistling while you work exactly is probably bad, you know, right, for survival, right? right. right. But, but if you're perching, hmm. so the, the, the civilized sedentary bird <laughs> has developed art, yeah, is what you're saying. Exactly. While the nomad hunter is not. That is yeah. very inter- that's very interesting. Your next song is Hey Jude by the Beatles, and you talked about the, the reference to Julian Lennon, the, the son of... Uh, John Lennon we just purchased a house in in Lubbock and we're very lucky we, we got a, a property that has a lot of trees on it and it's sort of green there's a lot of birds and then I put out bird seeds so there's even more birds and there's just a me every morning exactly of, of birds.
1: unbelievable.
0: Do they recognize that there's other birds singing different songs? Is, is there definitely. some synchronicity yeah, one, there?
1: One is you know, species recognition, so they can you know, differentiate species. And the other is mating. You know, look that we belong to the same species. And usually the male birds are better singer than female. You know, they want to please the mate. In fact, in whole animal kingdom, you know, this is one of Darwin's very controversial sex, sexual selection. That it, it is always the female who selects. Okay. And so male are, you know, this is why they developed all the gaudy, you know, decorations. I mean, look at the peacock. It's only the male peacock, who, which is such a spectacular plumage. You know, female, just doll and drab. Okay. So in whole animal kingdom, it's the male who are much more, you know, beautiful and all these things. But in case of human, you know, it's a female who go to the shopping mall. In birds... Is this tr-
0: universally true that, that the male bird has developed something that, I mean, in, in terms of music, that is their song different than the female? Can, 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 you, can, they pick, can you tell a male versus a female bird just by their... their female
1: t- birds more sort of, you know, communications, that yes, I hear your voice and let me decide. <laughs> but male birds want to really charm, charm the female and... And they do. So, yeah, and they do. <laughs> These are love songs.
0: Now, your next series of songs, two of them, are by Simon and Garfunkel. And let's go back to your life. This is the 1960s. You were in London.
1: Right.
0: So much music happening there. The London scene of of music. Uh, Did you... Did you go to concerts? Did you yeah, go to right, clubs, right. or were you a studious uh, person and didn't? You
1: know? No, but you have seen there are lots of you know free concert, mm-hmm. and mind you, at that time it's sort of anti-Vietnam, you know, demonstration is going on, and in Trafalgar Square and others, there are lots of you know musicians. They'll come, sing, protest, and so yeah, you know, we attended all these you know free concert. <laughs> Did you
0: recognize that there were certain? Types of music you liked? I mean, you must have had a big selection of different kinds of music, that there were some that you liked better than others. But,
1: right, you know, at that time, these are so close to the, you know, social milieu, you know, social trouble and all these things. And uh, they really did a great job, these musicians, you know, which politicians could not, you know, articulate, but I think they did it. You know, they really told people which is right, which is wrong. When you're weary,
2: feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I
0: ask about that, because um, I'm always interested in how people develop taste, you know, for something. I mean, you, you meet somebody, they like one kind of food, somebody doesn't like that kind of food, music, things like that. In species of birds, are there, as you travel, and I guess Darwin's finches are probably the most famous example of this, but I guess other places in like New Guinea, where there's entire mountain ranges, you know, one or two miles apart, do you, the same species of bird develop different accents, can you tell where a bird is regionally even though it's all the same kind of finch? Yeah,
1: definitely, or something? like you know Darwin's Galapagos Island, that's the ideal study place for studying finches Okay, And just in each little island, you know, um, probably all came, you know, a few million years ago from South America. And they developed this, you know, different kind of beaks, different kind of, you know, behavior. And uh, so this sort of really evolution in action. You can see this, you know, their behavior, their music, all different.
0: If you transplanted a, a bird from one sort of bird culture to
1: another, would it just be lost and wouldn't find a mate? It depends if there's you know always if you're into that if you're introduced to a place and if you cannot survive you know uh, other birds may you know attack you okay but uh, birds have one advantage they could fly okay so always they're explorers. and in fact one of the saddest stories in bird evolution is you know and we are the killer you know, birds which live on continents uh, and they fly very well same birds when they migrate to an island, you know, especially Christian Island, you know, there is no need for them to fly. So they became secondary flightless. They cannot fly anymore. Same birds, okay. Like the dodo, of course, yeah. So what happened, you know, like about 2000 years ago, all these specific islands, they're full of, you know, very interesting birds. Many of them, they came from the continent, but they are all flightless. They became flightless. So when the Polynesians came, And you know, occupied one island after another. The first thing they did, you know, they killed these birds because you know, they cannot fly, they cannot go to the water, they're so helpless. And we really lost 2,000 species of birds because of human, aggression. Just, just, you know, these are the flightless birds since the time of Christ in the last 2,000 years.
2: Hello darkness, my old friend. Voices never shared. No one dared disturb the sound of silence.
0: Now, as a scientist, you often have to spend time alone thinking. How do do you create? How do you write and and create work? Do you have like a special place in in your office? Or or some people can't work at their office, they have to work at home. Where do you go to to think?
1: When I moved from Washington to Labak, I think Darwin said somewhere that you need a small place for your scientific meditation. And Labak really fulfills... That criterion, you know, and I'm glad that I moved to Labak. but yes, I have probably the best office in the campus at the museum, okay? This is a basement. In all curators, traditionally, in all museums, their places are secured. In other words, you cannot go, you know, they're under lock and key, so nobody's going to, you know, disturb okay and so at the museum i have a beautiful office in a suites. many you know many offices lab and everything and yet you know there is no students nobody so I, i i work you know at the museum most of the time i like it and also in my home you know i have a very nice study room
0: your next song, I guess, is is a more exuberant one. Probably one of the most famous songs of the '60s, among oh, like a lot of the other ones. There, Bob Dylan, "Blowing in the Wind."
1: In fact, uh, all this, you know, there is a story behind it. <laughs> So as I said, you know, I came to this country, then I moved to, you know, spent some time at Harvard, then, you know, moved to Washington, D.C. I was dismissed then, and also I was teaching at George Washington. And then, I think, 77, my family came, my wife and three years old boy. And his birthday was just, you know, after one week, they arrived. So one weekend, you know, my wife said, oh, why don't you take the trash to the restroom, I went there and there's a box, or a cardboard box, and there is a series of, you know, somebody just left it, you know, all these LPs, few books, paperbacks, and just a little note, enjoy. So I took this, you know, big box, cardboard box to my, you know, apartment, and we opened it, and my son was very curious, you know, three years old. And he's below, there is this actual, you know, record player. So he, we started, you know, playing this song. So it would become our family thing. So most of these records, you know, these records, it was really left by this unknown, you know, benefactor. I mean, he wanted to probably introduce us with the American culture. So all this, you know, uh, LP would... know this is our family pastimes okay so all this music actually you know came from this you know trash and also some paperbacks and all these things i really became you know interested in the american culture american history especially you know and in washington it was so good you know i could go to you know President Washington's place. I discovered a very interesting thing that nobody probably, you know, of course, you know, Jefferson. He wrote his paper, actual scientific paper, on the fossils of Virginia. So I really wanted to know because most of the, our president they came from law background. I wanted to to know, you know, how many of them have sort of you know scientific interest and background. And in Virginia, we visited a place, you know, unknown. And this was one of President Monroe's place. And I was so amazed, you know, of course he sold his house, so other people lived. Whole courtyard. He actually supervised. So in the East Coast, you know, there's a beautiful dinosaur foot track. So he decorated his whole courtyard with dinosaur, you know, footprints. And I was so amazed. You know, I think you know maybe many historians do not know. So he just cut it from the quarry. You know, yeah. I mean, and yeah. this slab. So, so these these were actual yeah actual dinosaur fossil footprints. prints
0: F-fossil that print. he cut out. And, he, that's amazing. And yeah,
1: I was so amazed.
3: For therefore, forever band The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Yes, and how many years can a mountain exist Is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the
0: wind Of course, for many years we've heard that birds are dinosaurs. Is that still correct? Definitely, definitely.
1: No doubt about it. And that brings one of the interesting questions that, you know, we went to China many, many times. And they discovered a place called, you know, not far from Beijing, about 400 kilometers northeast of Beijing. This is probably the discovery of the centuries, okay, called Liaoning province. And I named it, you know, Cretaceous Pompeii because that really captures. So what happened? There's a volcano. And that volcano erupted, you know occasionally maybe after two three years or something and all the denigens, you know the dinosaur birds they'd be completely you know buried by the ash and they'll preserved in detail I mean you won't believe you know these kind of fossils not one two thousands okay and in fact you know while working in china that our theory became very very you know deeply sort of supported i mean you have all kinds of stages of feather so now we know how you know how dinosaurs became birds how did they learn how to fly and these feathers are so intact you can actually see the color in other words they have the the pigments the melanin you know inside this Feather, so you can reconstruct their color, and so that tells you some of these feathers are so small, it was not really meant for you know flying. So why did the birds develop feather? Again, I think I concluded, and many other people also, you know, from this Chinese discovery. So initially, feather evolved for sexual display, again to please your mate. OK, and this beautiful color and all these things, species recognition so that, you know, we meet, you know among ourselves and impress the mate. And then flight evolved later, you know, once the wings become sort of enlarged and they became sort of you know, an air-worthy, airworthy, then, you know, flight evolved. But this Chinese discovery is so fascinating
0: so sometimes structure comes before eventual purpose Purpose. Yeah. And that's something that we don't yeah. tend to think about, right. about that, that we, we think evolution having some plan no
1: purpose. there is no you know there is no future you know it just co-opted
0: something can be useful later right, we don't right. think about it I
1: mean for yeah. for example you know there is a jaw, jaw, bone, jaw joint bone Okay. In reptiles, when the mammals evolved, you know, they became superfluous, you know, either they could be lost or they could be used for other purpose. So basically they moved to the ear, our middle ear. So reptilian jaw joint became our, you know, middle ear bone. So we have three bones in the middle ear, whereas a reptile has, you know, one bone. So all the time, you know, they're called in a pre-adaptation or more like in acceptations,
0: yes. Your next two songs are by the very famous uh, John Denver, a a friend of the chancellor, Chancellor Hans, uh, actually told us that story. Take Me Home, Country Road, and Rocky Mountain High. Now, those are definitely songs about going out into the the country and to enjoy nature. When you go on these expeditions, and, you know, you've said Antarctica and China, you enjoy it, right? I mean, it's actual pleasure. It's, it's not work to, to be there digging.
1: And, you know, that two songs, what happens, since we're living in, you know, Virginia, we have a very good friend, Mot and Joanne Turner. And Mot was the program director of National Science Foundation for all this Antarctic, you know, research. So my song used to sing that, you know, Country Road and all these things. And Joanne said, okay, we'll take you really West Virginia. Okay. So that you can see what John Denver was meaning. And, you know, they took us to all this Blue Ridge Mountain and Shenandoah Park and all these things. And I could vividly see, you know, what John Denver means. And again, one day, you know, one time we we're driving, you know, over the Rockies and then he started singing, you know. So, yes, this is, you know, America is beautiful, not because of these cities, but I think because of this, you know, natural preserve, all this national park, wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's
0: hear them both back to back then. Take Me Home, Country Road and Rocky Mountain High.
4: Almost heaven Teardrop in my eyes Below. He saw everything as far as you can see And they say that he got crazy once And he tried to touch the sun And he lost a friend that kept the memory Now he walks in quiet solitude The forests and the streams Seeking grace in every step he takes his side has turned inside in the to try and understand the serenity of a clear blue mountain lake. more people, more scars upon the land In the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky No would be poor man if you never saw an eagle fly Rocky Mountain High
0: When you study fossils, are you ever shocked by what you found? I mean, just like you go like, that doesn't make any sense. But then, of course, you have to try to understand Yeah, it. there's
1: always excitement. Sure. You know, again, we don't expect. It's almost like a gambling. Okay? You walk mile after mile. I mean, for example, when I first came to labak Okay? I came to Laba, you know, This is a roundabout story. Okay? I came to labak for entirely different reason because as I said Mo Turner was the program director of you know Antarctic Research at NSF he was also my colleague at the George Washington University who used to teach you know and one day I told Maud, you know, that I really wanted to go to Antarctica, simply because, geologically speaking, India was neighbor to Antarctica, and they were joined together say so 300 million years. And I know the geology of India, and I think I could interpret the geology of Antarctica, because, you know, they were the same at that time. He said, okay, you are a dismissed, and, you know, federal government doesn't fund another federal agency. But if you go to Lubbock, Texas, I can fund your project. I said, if I want to go to Antarctica, I have to come to Lubbock. <laughs> he said, yes, it's guaranteed. So the way to, We are a stop on
0: the way to Antarctica, if you look at it, you know, the map that way, yeah.
1: <laughs> then he told me that story. You know, this is so fascinating. He said, you may not know, but one of the pioneer geologists who first went to Antarctica, he was at Texas Tech. His name was Alton White. And I think he went to Antarctica in 1924 and he died and, you know, he didn't publish much, but he had a sort of huge resources you now left at Texas Tech. We need someone who can finish his work. Then he can start his own work. I said, I'd be happy to do that, you know. So this is how I came to Texas know, mainly to go to Antarctica, to work in Antarctica. And uh, yes, when I came, I, you know, I went to the museum. I could see all of the footprints of, you know, Dr. Wade. He must be sort of a Rhinissa man, you know, probably the very first on-professor. He was the chairman of the geology also. But um, he worked on even marsh, you know, at that time, Martian soil and all these things, although without any samples. He probably helped astronauts, you know, to get training in Antarctica. So I went through all of his, you know, letters and, you know, book notes and everything. I said, this is a national treasure. The first thing I did, you know, I catalogue everything, all of his books, maps, photographs. And so just for posterity. I finished his work, and then, of course, you know, we started going to Antarctica. But the reason, and people said, you know, don't go to, you know, you want to go to Lubbock, Texas, you know, leaving Washington, D.C., where the action is. I said, no, you know, I want to go because I want to go to Lubbock because I want to go to Antarctica. <laughs> but it's worked out for, for, for Fantastic, both. fantastic and as a bonus you see i came here to go to antarctica i never realized that my you know always back in india my specialty was really on the triassic rocks and the fossils this is the beginning of the age of dinosaur and this is right here at our backyard Okay, like if you go to Post, Palladero Canyon, these are all Triassic rocks. Okay, this is the age of the beginning of the dinosaur. So I talked to some of my colleagues at geology, they said, no, these people, these ranchers are very conservative. You know, we tried, they said, no, and you are coming from India or from Washington, D.C., they hate people from, you know, that area, I said, let me try. So, you know, I just, I got a sort of a phone number. I called one of the ranchers. They said, okay, can you come and meet us? We wanted to see you. And you will not believe such a beautiful people there. And later I asked, you know, and after just one hour talk and all these things, the you know, ranchers gave me the key, and, he, and I said, okay, everything is yours, you know. The only thing is you have to, you know, when you leave, lock the gate, that's all. <laughs> Extremely nice people, you know, they came to us uh, because this has not been explored before. So in the summer, the very first summer, we started working here in post, we got a bit of car, vehicle from Texas Tech, and these ranchers wives, you know, these are millionaires, Okay, they would come, they will dig with us, they will bring ice tea, they will take photographs, they will invite. You know, one of the ranchers introduced me with the local police, local judge, so that if I do anything, you know, I mean, fantastic. They actually funded our project. Wonderful, wonderful people.
0: That's a terrific story of Texas Tech there. Your next song is Joan Baez with God on Our Side. Yeah.
1: And again, this is one of this old record, you know. Yeah. And although, you know, I know that um, Bob Dylan sang, but I really like that, in you know, haunting voice of Joan Baez. I mean, I think that record was something with Vietnam, you know, where is my son or something. But that particular one, you know. So I'm always perplexed about the reason of war and peace. Every century every nations they wanted to you know justify that war is just and main thing is God is on our side can you say anything evolutionary about war
0: Does, is war an, an anomaly or is it something just part of nature uh, yeah of especially, our, in, in our species
1: yeah this is really prevalent in our species you know a tiger will not attack another tiger you know if he's not hungry or any other animal. But the sad part is, you know, in human evolutions, almost for 7 million years, always there are two species coexisted and one just vanished. And who killed? Probably we killed. The latest example would be the extinction of Neanderthal. You know, I mean, there is many places, like in Israel and others, you could see them. They coexisted. But Homo sapiens... Our species has one advantage with Neanderthal, that is, we develop projectile. We could throw spear from a distance. Neanderthal could stab something, you know, still they have to have, you know, they have to hold the weapons in hand. So just one advantage, that he could kill someone from a distance, that gave a very competitive edge. And there's a very good, you know, again, it's a very controversial, but most people think that, you know, Neanderthal and modern man probably lived for 100,000 years, but 30,000 years ago, suddenly they would vanish. And most likely we are the killer.
5: can
0: Your next song is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Now, there's a different turn from John Baez, I think. Uh, this
1: is a human conflict. You know, I mean, that guy...
0: Uh, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah. You
1: know, he was Indian, actually.
0: That's very interesting. I did not know yeah, that. He yeah, he came
1: from Bombay. And, of course, he, has a, he had a beautiful voice and all these things. But I think this this really tells... His turmoil inside, you know, as if he killed someone and then trying to, you know, justify, confused. And it may be his own personal life, you know, because eventually he would, you know, tell that he's a gay. But uh, this is, so human has, you know, two two war front. One is outside, one is inner. So this is sort of story of inner conflict. And uh, sometimes the we, weed, sometimes not.
4: I see a little silhouette of a man. Scarabouche, Scaramouche, will you do the pandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, 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 Galileo figaro. Magnifico!
2: Poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. <laughs> easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Bismillah, no, we will not let you go.
0: Does your study of the past give you hope for the future or or, or or, if we're saying that we don't know what contingent will lead to the next contingent, can we say anything about the future? I
1: think so. You know, human is almost like two fists of Janus. You know, we can create, we can destroy. You know, we have all the arsenals to kill our whole civilization. Think about it. We stockpile so many nuclear weapons. We can OK, we are the only species who overcome natural selections. Think about hot, live in air condition, no food will create. I mean, that kind of thing that human, other people, you know, there is always a sort of, you know, competition and all these things. We really overcome natural selection. And that's why our population, look at it, 7 billion. And in 20 years, it could be double. No species has become so successful. And yet, but in our success, but minus, we've caused a lot of right. We created death, so much problem. I look others. at this. All these, you know, forests are gone. Along with forests, so many species died. You know, we polluted the environment. I mean, this is really we have one, you know, destructive streak.
0: Well, just again, from an evolutionary perspective, I, I, I've. I've always been interested in the, the question of obviously whether there's life yeah. elsewhere, and that that'll tell us a lot about evolution sure, if sure. we find you know ev- yeah. evidence elsewhere, even if it's just microbes. Um, famous Fermi paradox, named after the scientist who was saying, "Well, if evolution, if, if intelligence is such yeah. a great attribute to have, then it." And there's so many planets out there that can support life, uh, allegedly. Why aren't? Why isn't the universe just full of of life? And and then one one possible answer is that intelligence is, is a dead end for evolution. I mean, you you develop intelligence, then you destroy your own planet, and that's it. You know, yeah. so you never get to the stage of like traveling around the universe or anything. It, it, from the point of view of Earth, it was was intelligence a bad idea?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but mind you, this this movie like star wars yeah. these are actually you know they're telling this gospel that eventually we have to go outside to colonize you know the, this place would be too dangerous maybe we'll kill ourselves so we need more than one uh, nest yeah right. more than one island <laughs> right. right and there's yeah. a possibility for example mars could be habitable you know there's a very good chance we could really create our you know second home there
0: do you think we're going to find anything elsewhere in our solar system? I mean, else, sure, else, sure. I,
1: Definitely, I, definitely. Uh, not yeah. much. Probably life started simultaneously and then died young. Okay, Mars, I believe, uh, there will be some kind of life, just bacterial. There are two moons, which NASA is really sort of uh, very hopeful. One is the Jupiter's moon, you know, Europa, and Saturn moon, Titan. Okay, it has all this, you know, right kind of ingredients, environments, you know, to, to harbor some kind of life. But don't think, you know, there's a green monster or something. But yes, some kind of life might be there.
0: And we found, uh, I was reading about these creatures, these extremophiles or yeah, ultra extremophiles. Exactly. Oh, they are the oldest. Life. So, So we found life yeah. in the most hellish conditions. Exactly. I mean, miles down... At unbelievable temperatures in acid baths. So if life gets a foothold, yeah. and there's enough time, it, it seems to adapt to almost any possible environment. The, the, the key is getting that foothold. Now, the first bacteria, the first evidence of life, is only like, like about six, seven hundred million years after the formation of the Earth. I mean, yeah, very, right, very right, early. Right, right. right. You are so, so extremely right. early. So that does suggest that again, you know, if they can, if it, you know, whatever process, the origin, you know, you're studying the origin of life. Can you can you say what was the first li- living thing on this planet?
1: Most likely, you know, they are still around us. These extremophiles, thermophiles. Okay, I mean, if you go to, you know, Yellowstone, you can see them. Okay, so all these beautiful, you know, colors you see around these guys are, okay, these are the actual, you know, thermophiles. Okay, or um, they are the, in the ocean o- vents in the bottom the ocean. Not only American ocean, region. but also in, you know, Eolestones, so you'll find it in that extreme environment, okay? That where is the temperature, may be 100 degree, pressure may be high, and this is where they live. And they live without sunlight. You see, this is a new source of energy we didn't know until 1970s. Okay, we always thought that life is powered by the solar system. But this is the life powered by the heat from the volcano. Okay. So it's a fight between, you know, Vulcan and Sun. <laughs> Old, you know, mythology.
0: Your final song, Willie Nelson, On the Road Again, sort of sums up, I think, your career. You're moving from one discovery to the next. You're a curious fellow, aren't you, Professor? <laughs> I mean, it, it, my, my, one of my daughters is interested in being a scientist. Oh, and, and perfect. We just had this conversation a couple of days ago, and I said, I, I think... What I've seen in the scientists, whether it's a social science or humanities or or other physical sciences, the, the people I most admire have in common is eternal curiosity. And you seem like somebody who's just eternally curious to find answers as as often and as widely as you can.
1: Yes, right. <laughs> this song in Willie Nelson is a strange. As I said, you know, many colleagues. At that time, from Smithsonian and George Washington, they said, you know, don't don't move to Lubbock, Texas. Nobody knows about it. But I wanted to go and Antarctica. I said, you know, I don't care. I have to go. And even, you know, I didn't really visit the campus. Then I had a friend, you know, at that time he was like a sort of hero among young scientists. His name was... Robert Barker, Bob Barker, you know, he graduated from Harvard and then he was a sort of young professor at Johns Hopkins. You know, he looked like Jesus Christ, long hair and everything. And he used to come, you know, to Smithsonian and he said, Shankar, go. I said, why? He said, you know, this is the home of Badi Halley. I didn't know at the time, you know, Badi Halle. Then he said, Willie Nelson lived there. And I said, why? But just for Willie Nelson, you have to move to Texas. I said, again, he said, okay, I'll give you a, you know, he gave me a tape recorder, a tape about Willie Nielsen, you know, and so basically that sort of, you know, the, this, it signifies my move, you know, from Washington to Lubbock, Texas, and, you know, looking back, I think, you know, Barker was right, and I moved here, you know, I really found the true scientific home here at Texas State. so again, Willie Nielsen. Help me.
0: Music and science. And we are so glad that you found your home at Texas Tech. And we look forward to following you, whether it's Antarctica or at China or Mars, you know, for your next expedition, right? I mean,
1: <laughs> get a little bit of extra funding, maybe we could. <laughs> yes, but I'm very excited, you know. I mean, eventually, I think people will live there.
0: Well, we look forward to that too. Willie Nelson on the road. And thank you very much, Professor, for joining us today. Thank you, David.